Hello and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Andrew Harrison. If you're a football fan, this week has been utterly sickening. A self-designated big six of English teams announced on Sunday that they were breaking away from the Premier League to join three Spanish and three Italian sides in a new European Super League bankrolled by JP Morgan with €4 billion of debt finance. They include Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs and, to my shame and revulsion, my own team Liverpool. If it goes ahead, that's the end of nearly 125 years of football history, promotion and relegation, key local derbies like Liverpool versus Everton, and for many of us, our relationship with the teams we've supported since childhood. The reaction's been poisonous and furious. At the Liverpool-Leeds game on Monday, we had the astounding sight of a man in a Liverpool shirt burning a Liverpool shirt. With me, I've got the man who broke the story on Sunday. Martin Ziegler is the Times' chief sports reporter, but more importantly, he was my chief sports reporter on the Leeds student paper back in 1988. Hello, Martin. How are you? Very good, Andrew. Yeah, I, I, I still remember you giving me a bottle of whiskey after Arsenal um, beat Liverpool at Anfield. Yeah, when when Arsenal won the title. Well, it was. I, I had to sort of assuage my shame that that way, you know, somehow. So, by the way, before we start, have you got your copy on the intramural hockey? Because it's thirty three years late. <laughs> now, this story's been in the air for years. When did you first become aware that it was going to break this weekend? Because it suddenly seemed to blow up out of nowhere. I think that towards the end of last week, there was. I think UEFA had been were pretty sure that they'd they'd got their ducks in a row, and all all the top European clubs had signed up, and there's going to be this new Champions League format announced on Monday. There was a, still a bit of noise knocking around that the, some of the Super League backers were were still sort of pushing that slightly, but UEFA were very confident. And then on um, Sunday morning. I got a tip off that actually this was all gone completely tits up mm. and that the um that the, the Super League was was going to be launched. I managed to get it uh, second sourced and um yeah broke the story online at about lunchtime on Sunday and the response has been quite incredible. Yeah, it certainly ruined a lot of people's Sundays. I mean do you, do you have any idea what was the thing that made it go in your immortal words tits up? I just I think the um the, the the big clubs certainly the, the Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, Man United, and Liverpool. I think they just thought now was the time to strike before UEFA sort of agreed this new Champions League. The pandemic has sort of made made it a moment in time, especially for the European clubs because they've actually been hit much harder. The Glazers hate Manchester United not being the Champions League. They can't understand it because you know they you know they're. A, American football team that doesn't ever happens to them so um, for them it sort of made perfect sense to try and drive something through I mean, I mean Ed Woodward has been one of the main drivers of this the executive vice chairman and I think they just thought it was now or never and they this was the uh, this was the moment to strike the Real Madrid president Florentino Perez says that the Super League has been created to save football and that young people are no longer interested in football because of a lot of poor quality games. I mean, whose fault is that? Anyway, these people are running elite football. They can't then turn around and say that elite football is poor quality. Can they? They can say anything. But I mean, he's given an interview saying that they may look at having shorter matches than 90 minutes because young people's uh, attention spans don't last that long these days. I mean, Andrea Agnelli from Juventus has been saying the same thing. I just think they've been carried away on this sort of idea that there's a sort of new world of football fans and all oh, they're looking to the Chinese and they're going to sort of rescue their finances of their clubs and they don't really care too much about um, history and community and everything else that goes with a football club. I mean, the, the speed with which they've rejected 
everything that we can kind of parcel into the culture of football, the, you know, the derbies, the actually physically going to your local ground in your, in your local town. And the idea of, you know, this terrible term legacy fans has absolutely shocked the, you know, everybody who follows football. But I mean, looking sort of coldly at the financial dependency, how valuable are, you know, us legacy fans to football? Do they think that they can kind you know, would, would it work financially for them to abandon us and move into this world of sort of streaming to the Far East and so on? I actually don't think it would work for the English teams, the English clubs at all, because hmm. I, I, I think they really are steeped in people going to matches and every, the the whole even though we're talking, you know, they're owned by Americans and you know, people fly in from all over the world to visit Old Trafford and Anfield. I think I think the the roots are still so strong that they, it, for the English clubs, it's vitally important. Hmm. I think for the the continental sides, sort of Real Madrid. I mean, obviously, their fans and Barcelona, their fans are important, and but I think that it, it's less of an issue for them. I also think they they are they are in in more serious trouble financially than the English clubs and that's why they've been pushing so hard because they're terrified of being left behind by the Premier League and and they would be there's no no doubt about that the Premier League is its popularity is so strong that they would they would overtake Barcelona I mean Juventus and AC Milan are already far behind Mm. financially um so I actually think the English clubs have made a bit of a mistake here because they could uh, they could have been in a really really strong position um, to take on you know, to become the dominant forces in Europe. I mean, there's already signs. If you look at the Champions League, the Europa League, there's already signs they have, and mm. now they're basically proposing to give that up. I mean, you've been reporting today that at least one unnamed. English club is already considering pulling out of the Super League. Alex Wickham of Politico is tweeting that uh, they're accusing Liverpool and Man United, the two clubs leading the breakaway, of lying to them and, quote, fucking up. So what are you hearing as of, well, we're recording at quarter to two on Tuesday. From from your contacts, what are you hearing in terms of how steadfast the breakaway clubs are being and are there cracks appearing in that? I mean, there's absolutely no doubt that um, they've been completely taken aback by the the, the the reaction, alarmed by the British government getting involved. I mean, Boris Johnson holding crisis meetings, threatening um, legislation. I mean, nobody at any Premier League club thinks it's a good idea or it's a good result when, when that happens. The only thing is, is what somebody at one of the big six told me, is is that the signing up to the Premier Super League is is fairly legally binding. It's not going to be easy just to rip up the rip up the contract. They're in a bit. They're sort of now caught between a rock and a hard place. But they, they obviously they are. You know, there's some serious internal discussions going about on about what they should do. Especially, for example, Chelsea and Manchester City. Um, they they were the last two to sign up, and they were sort of almost reluctantly dragged into it. They just in the end they thought it was too risky not to be involved join us or you will never get invited again, ultimatum. And they felt it was too risky to be out outside of that tent. So they are probably the ones who are now sort of wondering what to do. They may just have to grit their teeth and see it out and then you know, wait until this ends up in the courts, which is where I'm sure it is heading, by the way. Oh, right. So you, you, you would bet that it's going to end up in the courts? 100%. Right. Because the Super League can't take place without FIFA and UEFA giving the go-ahead. FIFA and UEFA won't give the go-ahead, so they will have to be a. It'll have to go to court. 
What, what about this argument that, um, you know, people have said that uh, aren't even in the top eight of their own uh, domestic leagues, that they do this every 10 years. They hold a gun to um, the FA's head or to UEFA's head to extract further concessions, and that actually the ESL isn't really a, a serious proposition. It's just there as leverage. Do you think that's true, or do you think this is the real deal? Well, it certainly has been true in the past. I mean, back in 1998, there was a sort of G14, I don't know if you remember, that group of, of clubs, a similar sort of thing got together. There was a, a, a company in Italy called uh, Media Partners, which put together an idea for Super League, and that actually led to a sort of big expansion of the Champions League. That was on a completely different, smaller scale to what's happened here with these sort of signing up to this you know, 4 billion euro plan. They've already got financial backing, which they've never had before. I think it's gone beyond sort of brinkmanship and sort of flexing muscles and saber rattling. This is civil war. There's comparisons to be made with the launch of the Premier League, of course, in 1992. And, and intrinsic to that was the very rapid signing up of Sky to what was then the biggest deal to broadcast football that had ever been, I think. Is there any sniff of a media partner for this? Because clearly, with such a huge geographic spread and a lot of international travel, this is not the kind of thing where, you know, gate money is going to cover anything. It's going to be all about a media partner, and it needs to be somebody with unimaginably deep pockets. Yeah, um, I think that was the sort, a lot of people who, who were in the UEFA, for example, that was their sort of big concern. And I think there was a bit of relief when it, it, it turned out that as far as people could make out, there, there isn't anyone mm. signed up. Because if you had Amazon or Facebook or Netflix putting a billions behind this, and obviously that would that would be done and dusted. Um, I, I, it's probably the, the, the project, the idea isn't, it's not fixed enough. It's, it's not advanced enough for, for a deal to be done. So I think that's probably why they haven't had a, a OTT platform getting behind this because it, I think it's, it, there's still too much uncertainty. What do we know about the men who are driving this? I mean, there's Florentino Perez of Real Madrid, the chairman, Andrea Agnelli of Juventus, who's really come out of this as, uh, I think, described as the snake in the grass, wasn't he, by uh, Caferni? And uh, Joel Glazer of Manchester United, who you just mentioned, are desperate for this. What do we know about these people? What kind of characters are they? So Florentino Perez has been, uh, he's been pushing this, he's been leading this for a long time. And uh, Manchester United have been sort of with him all the way. He's been the sort of public face of it. You know, he's got, got he's held, held meetings and made no secret about it. I mean, he even went to see the FIFA president Gianni Infantino. The, the Manchester United and Ed Woodward's involvement has been slightly below the radar. I mean, Edward Ed Woodward used to work for J.P. Morgan before he went to Man United, and it, it's no coincidence that they're, they're the investment bank who've who've come up with the money to support this. It's it's very much the a sort of glazer driven idea of of wanting to increase their money and guarantee their income. And Yelly has uh, it, it, it's been an incredible sort of tale, really. So a few years ago, he asked the UEFA president Alexander Sheffrin to be godfather to his daughter. And at the time, there was sort of criticism that the, the links between the two were becoming too close. This is the president of Juventus, the head of the European Club Association. And basically, he, he sort of led UEFA and Chefferin down the garden path. And as late as Saturday morning, when rumours were reaching Chefferin about this Super League, he, he said, look, they're just rumours, they mean nothing. I'll ring you back in an hour. 
Mm. And then he turned his phone off and uh, never, spoke, <laughs> never spoke to him again. And Sheffrin, he was clearly so offended by this that, yeah, he described him as a persistent liar and a snake. Sounds like a true godfather material, yeah. doesn't it? Netflix should make a series out of it. It's been quite fascinating to look at the individual cases of the English teams, though, because you know they're not all the same. You know, in Manchester City, Sheikh Mansour has invested unimaginable amounts, but the whole thing has been, you know, what has been described as a sports washing exercise to kind of launder the Abu Dhabi regime. Doesn't this just like torch the lot? They spent a lot on rejuvenating that 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 part of Manchester, and a lot of trying to win hearts and minds. And Man City fans get really, really annoyed when you say, "Oh, it's a plastic club bankrolled by by money." I mean, they do have history, but doesn't this just kind of take a torch to all of that i think it does i mean uefa has always been the sort of evil bogeyman for manchester city fans for years hasn't it and, yeah um, and suddenly now manchester city fans are left with their club looking looking on, on, the, on the the evil side so i mean i, I think that's probably uh, that, that's probably why a lot of people are assuming that they are the ones who are perhaps wobbling on this Hmm. Um, because they, they they don't need they don't actually need the money, Chelsea don't need the money. All they need is for UEFA to let them spend as much money as they want. Because yeah. um, Abu Dhabi, it, it, it's a sort of drop in the ocean for them, really. And hmm. Abramovich, every year he sort of puts in sixty, seventy million pounds, and you know he he's happy. You can see why they didn't want to be left out, but you hmm. can now see why they're also wondering if they did the right thing. Yeah. And obviously the standout one for me is Liverpool because we thought in our naivety that we had good owners. They seem to be, you know, particularly after the previous owners, you know, they seem to be sports people. They nurtured Klopp. They've given the resources. They haven't overspent. You know, we thought we had, you know, really good fit with ownership and, and the traditions of the team. And now they go and do this to the extent that you've seen people hanging banners outside Anfield as I mentioned earlier, burning Liverpool shirts. What do you think that's done to FSG and their standing in British football? I think, I mean, generally you find um, fans usually defend their owners, don't they? But hmm. if, they? If the club's having success, the fans defend their owners. I've always been slightly cynical about FSG. They've always like expressed wishes to be able to sell TV rights themselves, which would completely undermine the sort of joint um, selling of, of, of the Premier League. Because they think, you know, they have this idea that Liverpool, the the brand sells the the international rights for the Premier League. They're probably right, they do. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they should be allowed to do it because the Premier League's success is built on the fact that Leicester City can win the title hmm. and that, you know, Super League Arsenal can struggle to a 1-1 draw with, uh, with Fulham. Oh, well, indeed, Liverpool can struggle to a 1-1 draw with Leeds, as we saw this week. It does happen. But Liverpool and Man United were the, the driving forces behind Project Big Picture, which was kind of shot down at the end of last year. Without sort of going into too much detail on it, is this something that um, should have been accepted for fear of something worse arriving, which is now arriving? That's what some people are suggesting, that that, that Man United and, and Liverpool were, were so sort of aggrieved by the the fact they didn't get any traction at all with their project big picture plan that they were almost they almost were forced into this super league as a sort of the only alternative to to get what they wanted i mean mm. there are of course there are other alternatives but that certainly is a is a prevailing point of view among some people that this this was the sort of response to having their project big picture kicked into the long grass a lot of the talk as i mentioned earlier is as fans of the future and with six places open to 
Well, they're calling it promotion, but it, you know, will it really be promotion? We don't know. This is a, gl- a potentially global league. Can you see like the likes of you know Guangzhou Evergrande being brought in, and you know uh, Liverpool playing games in Shanghai, Manchester City playing games in the Middle East? Is this the end game to not be a European Super League but a global Super League? Well, I, I mean, I think it's quite significant that they're, they're not calling themselves the European Super League. Mm. It's the Super League company, and yes, I think you're right. I think that probably is the sort of the idea that um, they could one one day open this up and you could have whoever they want, you know, New York or Santos or yeah, LA Galaxy. Yeah, the, the what David Beckham's new team in Miami or Boca Juniors or so, somebody basically. That, you know, they could invite people from other parts of the world to, to, to into it. I think that's that's probably part of their thinking, which is why they haven't specifically not said anywhere in any of their um, documentation about this being European Super League. I mean, just to wrap this up then, I mean, we're in the middle of a kind of completely confusing week, which went from naught to great anger in a period of about six hours. And the Italian newspapers and Spanish newspapers were astonishing. The front page of Tuto Sports headline, it was, it was, are you insane? So we really, you know, things seem to be changing by the minute. Can you see any way of this being stopped from the UK? Does fan power have the ability to do it? Does, you know, Boris Johnson has promised to stop it, but we don't know exactly what he can do. Can you see this being prevented? I've never known the government, I mean, in in sort of 30 years of reporting on sport, I've never really known the government be like this at all. Um, So. I think it is quite a significant moment. It's certainly something which is worrying them. I, I mean, Tuto Sport to say that is is is. I mean, Tuto Sport is like wedded to Juventus. Hmm. It's um, it, it's almost like this sort of club newspaper for the, for say so for them to say that is pretty significant. <laughs> fan power, though. I mean, the the worst thing about it as a football fan is you felt completely impotent this week. And even you know after the pandemic, the size of empty stands no longer has the shock power it once had. You know, the idea that like, well, well we won't go, we'll buy our tickets. We've kind of become used to that site now. We've seen a lot of organisation from fan groups, from fan boards and, and, and so on, putting out statements of revulsion. But can you see that anything concrete that they can do, apart from not going and not renewing their sky? Well, I mean, I think it'll be fascinating to see what happens in, in um, three weeks' time and the fans are allowed back in 10,000 fans allowed back into the stadiums for the first time in a year. Yeah. What, will it, what will it be like? I think fan power has a really important part to play. The more they can do to put pressure on the owners, the better, because even, you know, all this talk about legacy fans and fans of the future, I think in English football, if you alienate your core, then you're in big trouble. Yeah. And it's the, it's the so-called legacy fans who turn up to the grounds with the banners. Um, Liverpool's, the guys who look after Liverpool's banners, the Spear and Cop have withdrawn theirs from the next few home games in protest, and it, it, like it could get quite conspicuous and quite ugly. Martin, if you're a betting man, how do you think this is going to shake out in the end? I still think it's going to go to court, actually. Mm. Um, if the, the agreements have been signed up to are legally watertight and, and you can't, they won't be able to pull out, then I think it will have to go to, they'll have to take it to court and see if they can um, see what the courts say. Probably, probably be in Brussels, won't it? I mean, so it, actually this could drag out for quite a long time. Um, it'd be hmm. interesting to see whether UEFA will impose any bans on the Champions League next season um, yeah. for those Super League clubs. But yeah, if it goes to if it goes to the court, it's not it's not going to be a short process. 
But in the meantime, you know, this football needs pay it playing. You know, we're going to be into the next season. We're going to be into, um, you know, fixtures and so forth. Yeah, so, I mean, there. I mean, you know, there, there are some UEFA members who say that they should be kicked out of this season's Champions League and Europa League. I, I mean, I can't see that happening. I mean, I mean, UEFA are talking to their lawyers, but I think that would easily be overturned in in court fairly quickly. I think they will sort of play the play the longer game, perhaps. Yeah. Well, Martin Ziegler, thank you for joining us. I'm going to see you on the terraces at Tranmere as I'll need to find a new club. What new club are you going to find? Arsenal's my club, so I yeah. don't have to look. Uh, I mean, I, I live in Leeds, so maybe I'll just go and turn 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 back to Leeds and uh, there you go. The Leeds United marching on together. Martin, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Andrew. Good to catch up again. You too, mate. Listeners, thank you for listening. Remember, there's a new bunker every Monday to Thursday, plus a new Saturday edition as well. Don't forget to support Grassroots Podcasting by backing us on Patreon. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast to get each edition early and without ads. We promise never to disappear to Guangzhou province and leave you alone. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. The Bunker Daily is produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronievich. Audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production. <laughs>